Hey, I'm Pastor Paul Watson, and you're listening to the official podcast of the Downtown Vineyard Church. At DTV Church, we're followers of Jesus, and we believe that relationships are holy and that God loves everyone. We are so excited that you're a part of our online community of faith, and from wherever you're listening, I hope you are blessed by this message this week. All right, thank you. I am just uh, honored and a little humbled, actually, to be here with you guys today. Um, And I have known Paul a long time, and I know a lot of stories about him that I could tell you, but the problem is he knows stories about me. So they're going to stay in the vault. You know, we're just going to go that route. Also, um, there's a person in the room that has known me actually since I was a little baby, and it's my Aunt Kay. She showed up. Hi, Aunt Kay, to come uh, see us today. But uh, as, as Paul said, I did grow up here in Grand Junction, so this is fun for me to, to come home. You know, when you're from Grand Junction, you know things. You know, like, uh, it's like a she- secret handshake to, to mention, like, the potholes. Everybody know about the potholes? And, and to know that in the winter, there's this swan that kind of forms, right, on the mesa. And that there's a flag, I hope it's still up there, on Mount Garfield. I don't know how many years I lived here. And then one day I was like, hey, there's a flag way up there. How did that get up there? You know? And so you have these things that you know if you're from Grand Junction. Uh, Wendy and I have been married 35 years, and it's been awesome. We have four kids. They're grown up. Uh, so like many of you with young kids, you're playing zone defense right now. I understand. We understand. Uh, four kids, two boys, two girls. We finally figured out what was causing that. And uh, anyway, so, but we love, uh, we love our kids and our family. And then um, we have two grandkids, two granddaughters, one and three. How many of you are proud grandparents? Yeah, man, I, people used to tell, and I know you're thinking, there's no way this guy's old enough to have grandkids, but it's true. I do. And my little granddaughter, Aurora, she's um, three. She left me this message. I just wanted you to hear it. Now, I'm referred to as Papa, so just, um. Papa, hi. I love you. I love you, Papa. Bye-bye. Isn't that great? So I made it into my ringtone, and if I'm having a bad day or I get a grumpy email, that's, that's what I play. Um. Wendy and I uh, have the pleasure of leading the Vineyard Church in Windsor, Colorado. If you're ever around, come come and say hello, stop in. Today I want to talk to you guys about the tension between faith and doubt. The correlation, the relationship between faith and doubt. And um, if you want to dig a little deeper, a lot of these thoughts um, today are from a, a book that John Ortberg wrote called No Doubt. There's another book called Letters from a Skeptic um, and Benefit of the Doubt by Dr. Gregory Boyd. And if you're like me, sometimes I like to dig, you know, just do a little deeper dive into some of these things. Maybe that's a great book to look at in your small group. But you know what? We all have questions, don't we? We all have doubts um, from time to time. We ask questions maybe just to ourselves. We don't say them out loud, but there are times in our life as followers of Jesus where we, we wonder, like, does God really exist, or, or, or what will heaven be like? I mean, is heaven really just going to be, you know, us singing songs for 10,000 years? I mean, that just sounds kind of boring, you know? I mean, the, maybe I'm the only one that thinks this way. Uh, 
We ask questions like, are humans eternal beings or do we just kind of go out like candles when we, when, when we die? Is the universe like just a big accident or, or we, were we actually created with a purpose by a creator? Uh, questions like, will we one day be held morally accountable for our lives? Will justice one day prevail or... Is existence just a random string of, you know, events leading to an unknown future? Um, Why do I pray and sometimes my prayers go unanswered? Have you ever wondered about such things? Have you ever had doubts, questions? And and then is it okay to doubt? And and do you ever wonder, is it just me? Am I the only one who doubts? Um, Our key text this morning is something that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. And if you're able to stand up, will you just stand up? Can we just read this together? I do this for my Lutheran friends. They love this. Can we just stand up? And uh, now we see things. Wow, that was great. You can sit down. Great job, you guys. Paul says that, look, when it comes to this side of heaven, everything that we know is partial. It's incomplete. And if that's true, then there's going to be a a certain level of doubt that, that goes with our faith. The King James Version says, it's as if you're looking through a glass darkly. I don't know if you've ever ever looked through glass that's just really dirty, and you can kind of make out figures on the other side, but you can't, there's not clarity. You can't quite tell exactly what you're looking at. And on top of that, there's a a lot of people out there who kind of feed our doubts. You know, they're, they're saying that faith in God just doesn't make sense anymore. You know, at one time it did, but now we have science, right? And we're, we're enlightened, and so, uh, you know, people who believe in God and Jesus, you know, it's just kind of a crutch to get them through life. Have you ever heard that? And there's a number of people that take aggressive stance toward faith. Maybe you've read some of them. There was a philosopher named Daniel Dennett. He wrote a book called Breaking the Spell. He said, human faith is has not been scrutinized by critical thinking, and if it were, it would be proven as nonsense. The famous Richard Dawkins, a professor at Oxford University, he wrote uh, God Delusion. And in the preference, he says, if this book works as I intended, religious people who read it will be atheists when they put it down. So not only do we have our own doubt, we have our own, the enemy whispering things to us that that we've got things like this being written. Um, Here's a quote from his book just to give you a sense of his tone. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction. Jealous and proud of it. A petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak. A vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser. A lot of books are being written by people who doubt the existence of God. And you have friends that are in this place. You have friends that are reading these books and you try to have these conversations and, and, and they just react so strongly and you're like, what is that? You know? And you're trying to tell them about Jesus. A lot of common people doubt their faith. 
You know, uh, and I get it. A daughter who, who prays for her, her alcoholic father for years and, and, and nothing, nothing changes. Or, or if you've ever had a baby die tragically, I mean, that's just a tough one, isn't it? And it can cause us to doubt. We all struggle with our faith and we all have doubt. We live at the mercy of our ideas way deep down about the way we think things really are. Why does this matter? Like, you're thinking, why is this guy even talking about this stuff? Well, I believe it's, it's difficult to have a strong attachment to God uh, if there are deep questions in your mind that you've been afraid to ask. And when you wonder, am I the only one? Do I have to have certainty, the complete absence of doubt, to follow Jesus? And a lot of people are there. So in the balance of my time, I want to give you five observations uh, about the nature of faith and doubt. Observation one, if you're taking notes. Doubt is an inescapable part of the human condition. It's just a part of who we are. Part of what it means to be finite with limited knowledge and the ability to reason and imagine means we can't escape doubt. You know, the the definition of a skeptic is that real knowledge about anything is impossible. Real knowledge about anything is impossible. I heard about this philosophy class final exam. The professor put a chair in the middle of the room and said, prove the chair exists. And one of the students wrote, what chair? And got an A. Now, the problem with the skeptic is they will tell you it's impossible to prove the chair, but they'll still sit in it, right? And so it's all part of the human condition. When I married Wendy 35 years ago, there was was no doubt-free guarantee that this was going to work out. I I wanted it to work out. I I knew she was a really special person. I I knew I wanted to marry her. Um, I knew that I was marrying up because she told me. Um, (laughs) Sorry, honey, it just never gets old. Um, but there was no guarantee. When Paul and Linnea started this church 18 years ago, they, there was some doubt. They wanted it to work. They, they took a leap of faith, didn't they? They had doubts, and they had faith. And they go together. But there was still doubt. It's an inescapable part of the human condition. If you want a doubt-free existence, I'm sorry, but you've, you've chosen the wrong species. It's, it's a part of who we are. Observation number two, well, let me read one verse. Jude 22. I love Jude because you don't have to give. It's just one chapter. Anyway, 22. It says, be merciful to those who doubt. Be merciful to those who doubt. Why is that even in the Bible? Because we doubt. Be merciful to those who doubt. Be merciful to your friend who doubts. Be merciful to your kids when they doubt. Be be merciful to that person at work who doubts. And most importantly, be merciful to yourself when you doubt. It's a great verse for all of us because think about this. If you wait until all doubt is removed from a decision, from a commitment, you'll never get married. You'll never have kids. You'll never take a new career. 
You'll never move to another place because every decision we make, every commitment has a certain level of doubt. And most importantly, you will never make a decision or a commitment to follow Jesus. And there are people out there that think, if I can't have uh, a doubt-free decision to follow Jesus, I can't do it. And it's just not true. Observation number two, every human being lives by faith. Every human being lives by faith. You know, I, I hear people say all the time, and this is whether you're a church person or not, they, they say, you know, I wish I just had more faith. I wish I could just have more faith like, like Mother Teresa. Or, or I wish I had, I had more faith like Chris Barney. Anybody know Chris Barney? I, I don't know Chris Barney, but he's the maintenance guy here. I looked it on the website. And if he's like my maintenance guy, man, these guys have a lot of faith. So I just wanted to shout out to Chris Barney. Thanks for doing a good job around here. But there's a common belief that um, it, it, some people have faith and some people don't have faith, right? And, and some people, they live only by reason and logic. Where are my Star Trek fans? Like a Vulcan, right? That's how they live. And in our society, in our culture, there are basic convictions, beliefs, statements that cannot be proven, but there are good reasons to believe in them. Statements like, it's good to be alive, right? Statements like on the screen, all children deserve to be loved. I I can't prove that. I think it's a pretty good conviction. Statements like, all humans are created equal. These are good ideas, but they can't be proven without a doubt by science. But many people believe in them. The writers of Scripture say there is a reason why it is good to be alive. Because God spoke, and it was good. You became alive. We became alive. And it was good. But there's an alternative view to this reality. That there is no purpose. And there is no inherent goodness. And our existence is completely random. Jennifer Heck wrote a book called Doubt, A History. This is what she says. She says, the universe is nothing but an accidental pile of stuff jostling around with no rhyme or reason, and all life on earth is but a tiny, utterly insignificant speck of nothing in a corner of space, existing in the blink of an eye, neither to be judged, noticed, or remembered. Is that a little bit depressing to anybody else? Is it just me? How would you like to have that, like, on your tombstone? And you can imagine two people defending these two possibilities that it is good to be alive because God spoke us into existence. Or the other one saying, look, the universe is nothing but a pile of stuff random. Neither of these conversations are between a person of faith and a person without faith. These are both faith statements. It takes faith to believe either one of these statements. And we don't like to live by faith. I don't. Makes me uncomfortable. I want to know. 
I want to know stuff. We all adopt basic convictions that inform how we live. But it can be frustrating because we want to know, right? The writer of Hebrews says that without faith, it is impossible to please him. I submit to you that without faith, it is impossible to please anyone. Without faith, it's impossible to please a friend. Because how do you trust them? Without faith, it's, it's impossible to, to have any kind of relationship. All relationships take a level of faith. They take a level of trust. All people live by faith. All people get on airplanes. Have airplanes never crashed? Nope. But we keep getting on them, don't we? Galatians 3.11 says the righteous will live by faith, but so do the unrighteous. Observation number three, if you're taking notes, as long as you have faith, you will have doubts. That's what Paul was talking about. As long as you have faith, you will have doubts. Let me just, can I do an illustration? You know, you can claim anything. People claim stuff all the time out there on social media, right? I finally had to get off Facebook. It was driving me crazy. But um, if I want to stalk somebody, I jump on my wife's, and I can still do that. <laughs> but um, we can make basic conviction. We can just say whatever. So let's just say, I don't know. Let's say I, I make a statement, a claim. I have $50 in my right pocket. Who believes me? No people with faith? We got one back there. Anybody else? Okay, one person in the purple. Come on up here. Are you an extrovert? Am I freaking you out? Just come right here. Um, she had faith. Now, how can you have, I mean, what makes you think, am I out of the camera? What, come on a little closer. I'm not supposed to go past this blue line right here. Can you come a little closer? Just right here. What's your name? Susan. Susan? Okay. So when I say I have $50 in my pocket, why would you believe me? I just thought you did. She think, you think I look just honest? I'm a pastor with four kids and two grandkids. I hardly ever have cash. <laughs> but, but you believe it. Now, are, is there any doubt? I mean, maybe a little. You could be wrong. Some percentage. Sure. And, and that's, that's how it is when we, when we look at... Now, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to destroy your faith. What am I holding up? $50. So I'm destroying your faith. Why? Because now you know. Now you know. And you don't need faith. Faith and doubt go together. And I think faith should always be rewarded. So here you go. That's for you. Take it. Yeah. Enjoy. So let me make another claim. I have a $1,000 bill in my left pocket. How many people believe me? Now it's too late. One person with faith. That's the, man, that was close to not working. One person. Apostle Paul says that of faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is what? Of love. Because what, love's the, love will last. Because one day you will know. And you won't need faith anymore. Because you'll know. Faith is only needed because we have doubts. 
because we can't prove it with, without a level of uncertainty what we choose to believe in. And when the doubts are gone, then faith is gone, and all that remains is knowledge and love. And I said this earlier, this is no small thing. Because many people say, I can't commit to following Jesus because I still have doubts. And that's what faith is. It's putting trust in the person of Jesus. But it's not just doubt-free. It's taking a leap. And this leads us back to 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely. Are you getting it? Now I know in part. Now I live by faith. Now I don't have all the answers. And you know, can I just talk to the people who are, who are followers of Jesus? We get in a little bit of trouble when we, when we fake it. When, when someone who's not a, a follower of Jesus asks us a question and we don't know the answer and we start making stuff up. Or we're, we're putting stuff out on social media that we're making. It's okay to say, I don't know. You know, I've always wondered about, could we just explore that together? Could we just ask some questions together? Because there's parts of this whole thing that I, I just don't know. I take it by faith. I can tell you what I do know. I can tell you what I have experienced. But I don't have it all figured out. Observation number four. Doubt can lead to faith and trust. Our doubts can lead us to faith. You know, when you doubt something, you look for the truth, don't you? Those of you who are parents, when you think your kid's lying to you, what do you say? I doubt it. You know, when you say, did you, did you take a cookie? And they say, no. And they got crumbs all over their shirt and on their chin. And, and what happens is when you doubt something, what do you do? You look for the truth. I'm going to discover the truth. I'm going to find out what the truth is. And so our doubt can lead us to truth. John 8, 32, you will know the truth, and the truth will what? will set you free. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 16, 13, when the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. That was when the Spirit was poured out. I think you guys talked about that last week on Pentecost. Part of his job is to deal with our doubts and to lead us into truth. And the thing about Jesus is he's not freaked out by your doubts. He knows that your doubts will ultimately lead you to him. Because he's the truth. So he's not worried about it. So let doubt drive you to seek truth. Observation number five. When certainty is impossible, faith is still an option. When certainty is impossible, faith is still an option. You know, I've noticed in the Bible, the Bible is full of people that God used to do great things who were full of doubt. Think about it. Uh, Thomas, I mean, he got nicknamed Doubting Thomas. That's what we still call him 2,000 years later. Thomas, a guy full of doubt. And, and Jesus didn't have a problem with that. What did Jesus do? He said, hey, look, touch me. It's me. 
All the other guys have seen Jesus and said, we saw Jesus, and he's Thomas like, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I doubt it. And if you read history, Thomas went on to do great things. Sarah doubted that God could give her a son at her age. Jonah doubted that God could reach the most wicked uh, people on the planet, the Ninevites. And, and he ran in the other direction as hard and far as he could run because of his doubts and ended up in a fish. Je- uh, Paul, he doubted that Jesus was the son of God and he fought it and fought it. John the Baptist, shortly before he was beheaded, Jesus' cousin, he's in prison. And things aren't quite going the way he thought it would. You ever been there? And he sends word to Jesus, and what does he ask? It's his doubt statement. He says, are you the one? Are you the one? Or should we look for another? And God used these guys and gals to do incredible things, even with their doubt. You see, God doesn't ask us to manufacture certainty. He just asks us to be faithful with the little bit we know. A little bit of faith, right, can move a mountain. I think I read that somewhere. And I don't have to prove God to people. It's okay to say, I have my doubts. I don't know. But this is the little bit of faith that I have, I have, and I'm going on. Maybe it's more important to God that we have some faith rather than certainty. Maybe it pleases him when we, when we act on the little bit that we have. I think he's so impressed. When we bring our little bit of faith and we say, God, I trust you. I trust you. Matthew 28, verse 16. I'm going to wrap up with this story. No, I'm going to wrap up in a minute. I'm going to do this first. Matthew 28, 16. It's the last description of the disciples. The guys who lived with Jesus, they saw him do miracles. They hung out with them. And, and they talked to him, you know, on Easter. And in verse 16, right about the end, before Jesus leaves, it says this, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Isn't that interesting? I, I, I read this a hundred times, and I never noticed that. This wasn't in the beginning when they first met Jesus. This was at the end, after the resurrection. They worshipped him, and some doubted. There's a biblical scholar named Dale Bruner. He says the Christian, Christian faith is bipolar. Disciples live their lives between worship and doubt, trusting and questioning, hoping and worrying. Am I the only one? Isn't that us? See, people who follow Jesus, we're not people who never doubt. We doubt and we worship. That's faith. We doubt and we serve. That's faith. We doubt and we give our money for the kingdom, for kingdom purposes. That's faith. We doubt and we ask God to heal us. That's faith. We doubt and we still believe the best in others. 
That's faith. And we wait for our doubt to one day turn to knowing. There was a desperate dad, and he had doubts. And Jesus and Peter and James have just, and John have just returned from a mountaintop where they saw Jesus transfigured. It was so powerful that they just wanted to stay there. They're like, can we just stay here, Jesus? We don't even want to go back. And they go back down the mountain, and this is what they run into. A desperate dad. Have you ever been a desperate parent? You know, your kid's sick, and and nobody can give you a straight answer, and you don't know what's wrong, and you're just desperate. And you'll try anything, won't you? You'll try anything. And there was this desperate father, and he had a demonized son. And so he's, he's tried everything, and he's looking for Jesus to heal his son. And when he gets there, Jesus isn't there. Jesus is up on the mountain. Jesus is out of the office. And so the disciples, you know, they're not, we don't know when he'll be back, but, but, but he left, and he took some of the best guys with him. And, and so the father says, well, can you guys heal my son? Can you guys do this? And they're like, yeah, I think so. We've watched Jesus do this a hundred times. We can do this. And they start praying for this son, and, it, and it's not working. He's not getting healed. Meanwhile, there's all these religious leaders, and they're watching, and they, they want to see these guys fail, right? They want to see Jesus fail. So pretty soon, there's this big commotion, and a crowd is gathering, and they're, you know, they're hurling insults at each other, you know, like, your mama and your mama. And, and, and no one's even thinking about caring for this, this kid and his father. And, and Jesus comes off of this mountain, and that's what he walks into. And look what he says. In Mark 9, 19, he says, Oh, unbelieving generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. Now, I don't think he's talking to the crowd. I think he's talking to his disciples when he says this. So verse 20, they brought the boy to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion, and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth, and he asked his father, how long has has this been happening? And he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. See, there's power in faith. There's power in faith. There's power when we, when we gather up our doubts and, and we step out in faith and we, and we take them to Jesus. And we say, yeah, I got doubts, but I'm bringing them to you. And I'm going to believe in you. And I'm going to trust in you. And then the boy's father in verse 24, it says, immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. I get that statement. As a dad, I would have been tempted to just lie. Like, I would have been, yeah, yeah, I got faith, Jesus. You can do this, you know, because I want my kid healed. 
But this was real, and this was raw. And, and you know what I love about Jesus? What Jesus didn't say to him. Yeah, he, he, didn't, he, you know, he, he didn't say like, uh, you know, your lack of faith is disturbing. <laughs> Did we get a picture of Darth? There he is, Darth Vader, whoa. No soup for you. You know, go away. When you come back and you have more faith, he didn't do that at all. That's not what he did. What did he do? He healed the boy. And this father will forever remember the day when his doubt turned to knowing. Do you think he ever doubted Jesus again? Uh -uh. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. And in that moment, he no longer needed faith because he knew. He knew that Jesus was exactly who he said he was because he healed his son. Now we doubt and we live by faith, but one day we will know. I want to finish with just a quick story. It's by Bruce Thielman. Band can come on up. Imagine a colony of grubs living on the bottom of a swamp. And every once in a while, one of, these, one of these grubs is inclined to climb the leaf stem to the surface. And then he disappears above the surface and never returns. All the grubs wonder why this is so and what it must be like up there. So they counsel among themselves and agree that the next one who goes up will come back and tell the others what's up there. Not long after that, one of the little grubs feels the urge and climbs the leaf stem and goes out above the surface onto a lily pad. And there in the warmth of the sun, he falls asleep. While he sleeps, the the carapace of the tiny creature breaks open. And out of the inside of the grub comes a magnificent dragonfly with beautiful, wide, rainbow-hued iridescent wings. And he spreads those wings and he flies, soaring out over those waters. But then he remembers the commitment he made to those he left behind. But now he knows he cannot return. They would not recognize him in the first place. And beyond that, he could not live again in such a place. But one thought is his that takes all the distress. They too shall climb the stem, and they too shall know the glory. One day, we're going to know it all. One day, we're going to be in heaven with Jesus, and we won't need faith. Let's stand. You know, you're all here today because you have a little bit of faith. A little bit. A little bit of faith in Jesus, but some, some doubts. You're here because you're, you're drawn to the person of Jesus. You're here because you're drawn to hope. And I don't, I don't know where you are with Jesus. But at some point, all of us stand at the edge of a cliff and we take a leap of faith and we say, Jesus, I trust you. I'm going to start following you today. 
And if that's you today, I hope that we can help you with that. I hope that today is your day. And, and I'm here to tell you that it's, it, it's not a doubt-free commitment, that we all still have doubts, but we also have faith. And there's nothing more amazing than for one of Jesus' kids to come home. And that's all he wants. He just wants you to, to come home. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have it all figured out. You know, he, he invited a guy named Matthew to follow him. No one liked Matthew. He's a tax collector. Everybody hated him. He didn't have all the right answers. He didn't have his life cleaned up. He didn't have anything going for him. But Jesus said, just follow me. We'll figure it out on the way. Just follow me. And so maybe today's your day to take that step, to take that leap of faith and start following Jesus. And if that's you today, I'm just going to ask you, um, we're going to have a ministry team up here, right? To just come up and say to one of the ministry team people, this is my day. Or you can come to me. I just say, this is my day. And they're just going to, they're going to pray a simple prayer with you. There's no magic in this prayer, but this simple prayer is just a step of faith to start following Jesus. I think there's another group of you here today, and, and you're, you've been paralyzed by your doubt. You've been paralyzed by your doubt. Maybe you've over, you're overthinking this thing a little bit. Because you, you think, i got to have all the answers. You know, I, can't, I can't make a move. I don't have certainty. And, and we'd like to pray for you as well today. Is that good? Did I get off? Come on, come fix this because I don't know. What. And I would just close by saying, give your life to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Jesus changes everything. I give your life to Jesus. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, if, if you're holding on to your life, give your life to Jesus. You know, it's really kind of fun. I was uh, sitting over here, and I, I see Tammy reaches over, and she grabs Wendy, and she gives her this big hug, and I'm like, 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 but it was a hug of embrace. Like, I know you. I know you. Tammy did not know Jack and Wendy were going to be here this morning. Tammy was the one who invited them to go to the Vineyard Church in Fort Collins 40 years ago when they did not know where to go to church. Forty years ago, this young couple moves to Fort Collins, and they, were, they got out of this Bible college, and they moved to Fort Collins, and they didn't know anybody, and they didn't know where to go to church, and they meet this lady named Tammy, and Tammy says, if I was you, I would go to the Vineyard Church. It feels like you guys might fit. You never know what's going to happen in somebody's life if you invite them to church. Invite them to church. Like, invite your friends to church. Did you know that 80% of people who do not go to church, when polled, if they, would, if they would go to church, if they were asked by a friend, say yes? It's 80%. 80% of the people in your life, if you invited them to church, would say yes. You might have to ask them 10 times, But what would happen if Jesus met them in a room like this? Like he met you today. What would happen in a room like this 40 years ago for a young couple that didn't know where they should go to church and somebody said, if I was you, I'd go to a vineyard church. 
Lord, we come before you and we say thank you. Thank you for your good goodness. Thank you that, Lord, that you're not afraid of our doubts and you're not afraid of our unbelief, God. Thank you that you, you take our doubts and you turn our doubts into belief, God. You take our unbelief and you turn it into belief. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. We worship you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We say amen. Amen. Bless you. Hey, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and share it with your friends. If you find this tool valuable and would like to support this ministry, you can do so easily through our DTV app or on our website, dtvchurch.org forward slash give. God bless you and have a great rest of your week.